Hello, everyone, and thanks for turning in to the Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in science and engineering fields. My name is Siona. I'm in the TMM program at the University of Ottawa, and I'll be your host for this podcast for the TMM 49050 Science Communication course. Now let's envision a world where we possess the capability to create non-living materials to replace malfunctioning parts of our bodies. In this vision, damaged tissues could effortlessly be repaired or substituted with new synthetic materials, completely revolutionizing the treatment of numerous prevalent diseases. However, these materials must have very specific qualities in order to be viable replacements, including but not limited to proper strength, texture, flexibility, and compatibility with our own body cells. Our distinguished guest today, Dr. Juan Valerio Coich Rodriguez is dedicated to exploring this field known as regenerative material science, which delves into the practical applications of newly synthesized materials and blends. Dr. Coich Rodriguez is a researcher at the Centro de Investigación Científica de Yucatán in Mexico, possessing a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Chemistry, a Master's in Polymer Science and Technology, and a PhD in Biomedical Materials. He is currently engaged in the development and assessment of new materials for their role in regenerative medicine, with a specific focus on the use of synthesized polymers. We extend a warm welcome to you, Dr. Kawich Rodriguez, and we are thrilled to have you as a guest on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation, Sienna. To start us off, could you maybe provide us with some more insights into your work and your ongoing research? So as, as a chemist, uh, I had the opportunity to work with different uh, in different fields at the beginning of my career. And in fact, it was too broad that we had the chance to work for the food industry, for water treatment. And those were the options that were in my time in my city. But for me, that was not enough. So I decided to look for something else. And that's when I face uh, find the fields of polymers uh, back in 1988 when I finished my my degree. So first, uh, my first work here at CISI, uh, the Scientific Research Center of Yucatan, was uh, related to the extraction of cellulose fibers from a plant, which is very similar to uh, an agave, which is uh, the one that used for tequila manufacturing. So we make composites. We mix these natural fibers, we obtain uh, cotton from them, and they mix it with polymers. So we basically, we make composites. Uh, and that was my time here in Merida. Then I have to move to Manchester. And then I work with uh, model composites, some things prepared with Kevlar fibers and epoxy resins. And that was enough because that degree was more related to polymer science and technology. But then I have the need to something else. And I ended up in, in London. So I started working at Queen Mary University College and I work with hydrogels for medical applications. So I get my PhD. So basically, that's my my, my background in, in science. Thank you for that explanation. It seems like the sky is really the limit for a research field like this due to continuous materials, blends, and the applications that it can be tested for. So as we have many young and aspiring scientists listening on the podcast today, could you share how you became inspired to enter the field? Well, um, after my PhD, I have the opportunity to, to, to work for a German company, and they work uh, they were manufacturing basically acrylic bond cements. So then I realized that polymers in general as a family can be used in different medical applications. In like that time, around 1997, biomaterials was an emerging field even in, in Europe. I was uh, starting growing and developing, but in Mexico, that was not the case. And in Mexico, nobody knows about this topic and little people, uh, few people just know about it. So that's what I decided to go back to Mexico and start a career in polymers uh, for biomedical applications. So. And I think that was the best uh, decision of my life. Definitely, we have some shortcomings compared to some other countries, but 
it was a completely new field here in, in Mexico, and it gave me the opportunity to expand some ideas and experience a new synthesis, and definitely to uh, train students in this in this new field. Thank you. It's really inspirational that you kind of brought this new field back to Mexico, which um, I find really interesting. Uh, now, before we dive deeper into one of your recent research papers, I wanted to talk to you about the one of the common materials that your lab works with, and that's the one that's used in the paper that we'll be discussing, polyurethanes. Are you able to give us a general explanation as to what they are and some of the benefits and application of this type of material, please? A polyurethane is a polymer, a special kind of a, a polymer that can be uh, prepared by a polymer, polymer reaction, polymerization uh, reaction, just by mixing two basic ingredients. It's a monomer that contains a hydroxy group and another monomer that contains a, a succinate groups. So that chemical reaction leads to the formation of urethane groups. But in the biomedical field, people prefer to work with segmented polyurethanes. That means you will need a third component, a third monomer. And basically, this is a, a macromolecular diol, for example, based on polycaprolactone. So basically, when you mix these three monomers, you will have uh, segmented polyurethanes. And that's where we start working with uh, monomers or basically molecules that are biologically important. For example, we start working with uh, amino acids as a chain extenders. But basically, you can use any other molecule that contain functional groups that are able to react with these associates in the macromolecule. So just by playing with these two different types of, uh, well, three types of monomers or ingredients, uh, if you want, you can make polyurethane that can be stiff, polyurethane that can be soft, can be elastomeric, and they can be used for different uh, applications in our daily life. For example, for bedding, for furniture, insulators, adhesive, appliances, uh, textiles, or footwear. Uh, so there are many, many uh, uh, uses as uh, commodities. However, if you tailor them in the, in the proper way, if you play a bit with the chemistry, you can use them as a heart tissue uh, replacement, for example, uh, for bone substitutes or even uh, uh, in the dentistry uh, field. But also they can be used as a soft tissue substitutes. That means that you can use it as cardiovascular grafts, as wound dressings, and even contraception. So the applications are so, uh, uh, so broad that just by playing and selecting these special monomers. Awesome. Wow. It's really amazing to see the wide range of applications that stem from a single family of compounds. Now, let's take a closer look at one of your specific research works titled On Arginine-Based Polyurethane Blend Specific to Vascular Prophecies. Here, your team investigated a specific polyurethane blend to serve as a vascular graft for small blood vessels. Can you give us a bit of an idea about the problem or objective that you aim to study through this work and some of your general findings from this research? Well, the main uh, motivation for this work is cardiovascular diseases. And this is the main cause of uh, diseases worldwide, and even in the COVID area. So in general, affects many uh, countries, but here in Mexico is an important issue. And in general, it tends to affect the low to middle income uh, countries because of the diet or the type of diet we, we follow. So that's the main uh, motivation. But we know that we have some options for the treatment of cardiovascular diseases. And the simple thing is uh, a drug. For example, we can use an aspirin, uh, we can use uh, anticoagulants, uh, beta blockers, uh, ACA inhibitors, etc. If that doesn't work, then you will have to move to a different stage. And for example, you will need probably uh, a surgical uh, intervention, a small, let's say, less invasive in, uh, intervention, uh, for example, for valvular repair, uh, 
small graphs or natural graphs for healing some of the problem. But uh, then you will have to move to probably something more invasive and probably something more drastic. And, and then you will need uh, a biomaterial that performs, or not just a biomaterial, but a device that can be, uh, can substitute your heart, uh, for example. So in that sense, uh, biomaterials are just an alternative and they can be used as substrates, for example, for tissue uh, engineering. And the idea is uh, that we provide an alternative to some other treatments. I mean, the main motivation is cardiovascular disease, but we know that in that field, we have specific uh, treatments and this is just one of them. And I will explain later how does it work. Awesome. And so from the bait pair, if I understand correctly, you found that combining like two polyurethane materials together allowed you to create kind of this new blend um, that had improved factors as it must be very difficult to kind of recreate something that's very compatible with our own blood cells, having factors like uh, adhesion and cohesion. So could you maybe expand a little bit on that? Okay, well. First, I have to say that, as I said, that we have uh, alternatives, we have some other options. And currently, there are two main types of synthetic graphs. Those based on Dacron, which is a polyethylene terephthalate, which is a polymer, but is knitted, and also expanded polytetrafluoroethylene. It's like an expanded Teflon, let's say. And they work uh, relatively well in the high-caliber blood vessels. However, when the blood vessel is lower than 6 millimeters, see, they can be obstructed rapidly and that would lead to a failure of these uh, graphs so the design of these synthetic low caliber uh, vascular graphs was was the main challenge so we decided to choose a commercial polymer in this case was tecoflex which is a segmented polyurethane as well and is commercially available in large quantities and then we have to mix them with our own synthesized polymer and in that way, we will provide some specific properties to this uh, commercial material. I mean, it's used in the cardiovascular field. So just by blending, we were not just trying to reduce the amount of the polymer we, we prepared, but also to combine it to provide some different properties to those that are commercially available. What we found is that uh, there's a specific blend uh, composition that maximizes these properties. Uh, for example, there's a specific composition at 60% of our polyurethane, which is based on arginine, uh, which is when it's blended with 40% of uh, Tecoflake, which is a commercial polyurethane, that will exhibit a very good endothelial cell compatibility, will exhibit very nice uh, hemocompatibility. Thank you for the explanation. It seems like uh, the ability to create blends of new and old materials with uh, many different properties requires a lot of you know, troubleshooting and problem solving. So I credit you for that. Going off of that, how important is it in your field to stay on top of the latest advancements in the new experimental materials and methods? And is there something unique about regenerative material sciences in this manner? Well, I would say that we have to keep uh, reading papers uh, all day and every day and try to be updated all the all the time. However, I have to say that uh, the amount of information that is currently generated by academia is changing and also is producing very large uh, quantities. So sometimes you don't have the the whole time for uh, looking or reading all the all the papers. And and I say this is a bit difficult to keep that pace. I mean, to start reading the advanced the papers that have just been online, uh, just trying to. Uh, help your own your own research, um, but definitely we have to do that. So the message is that we need to read, we need to analyze analyze this information. We need to reflect on the content of these uh, papers, 
and also to be critics and say, okay, this sounds good. Probably this is not very clear. And probably, and sometimes it's, it's, it's very valid to question those results. So in that way, you will start um, creating new uh, path for your own, your own research. We have to understand that the human body is a very complicated environment. So if something is working uh, for one person, probably it won't work for another person. And that leads me to the probably the idea of the personalized medicine. For example, I have different habits, diets, and I have a different metabolism, especially when we have different ages. And understanding all these concepts, I mean, when you create a material and then you place it within the, the inside a person, okay, these uh, interactions probably need to be better uh, underst understood. I mean, it's not as simply as using a model, culture cells on their surface and see what's happened. Once it's in a human body, it will behave in a very different, different manner. So as long as we understand also these uh, concepts, as long as we start working with some other colleagues and some other disciplines, uh, we will understand better this, uh, this, uh, the, whole, the, the whole idea. Definitely. Um, I think I can speak on behalf of all of us and even our listeners when I say as an undergrad doing research and trying to navigate kind of the information that's out there and how it applies to your work and how it maybe it doesn't, it can be uh, quite a lot to work with. So I completely understand what you're saying on that front. And um, interprofessional collaboration, as you say, is very important to the success of research. And it's how we learn from one another and, and move things forward. So that's wonderful. Um, I'd love to know what the next steps for your team are, both in terms of this project and in general. I believe you're currently working on a new project relating to blood vessel regeneration now, if I'm correct? Yes, yes. I mean, uh, we will try to improve the materials we have. And one of the main issues that we want to achieve is to increase compliances in our materials. We are exploring if it's better to use a three-layer structure that which uh, resembles that of uh, natural vessels, or just a single uh, layer vascular graph. I mean, nature has their own ways, but sometimes not necessarily we have to follow that because our properties or our materials probably won't behave in the same manner. So we are now uh, debating if it's better to follow a three-layer structure or a single-layer structure for these uh, small calibre vascular uh, graphs. And also we need to improve some other issues uh, we will have to. We would like to introduce specific motifs in the polyurethane. For example, we would like to coat them with collagen, but not mammalian collagen. Some other type of collagen, type one specifically, uh, for example, uh, from marine uh, origin, and trying to explore these new, these new, these new uh, areas. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Carlos Rodriguez. I'm sure I can speak for everyone listening when I say that we've learned a lot and definitely given us a lot to think about. Um, thank you so much to everyone for joining us today. This episode was hosted by Siona Cassell, written by Caleb Lacani, and produced by Paul Nguyen. All copyrights are reserved to Beats Research Radio and the University of Ottawa.